to Conveyancing Matters with Lorraine and Stu. Join us for a chat about all things property. Hi Lorraine, how are you? I'm good, thanks Stu, and you? Yeah, I'm not too bad. So welcome everybody to the next edition of Conveyancing Matters. Today we thought we'd have a, a chat about some, some general questions regarding property lawyers. So I know you've got a list of, of things you want to discuss, Lorraine. Yeah, I do, um, because um, there are lots of sort of um, misconceptions out there about the sort of the, the status and who clients are dealing with when they instruct their conveyancer. Um, and I thought it would be quite useful to sort of demystify that for people. And one of the first questions that people often ask um, is what's the difference between a conveyancer and a solicitor? Um, so that seems to be a good place to start. So, I mean, just to explain to people really, you know, conveyancer is generally the sort of umbrella term that yep. is given to people who generally speaking are, are qualified and are either solicitors or licensed conveyancers. And this is where rather happily, Stu, on the, uh, on the conveyancing matters side of the fence, we've got, uh, we've got one each here. So um, I'm a solicitor. Uh, and that means broadly that I got the professional qualification as a solicitor many, many, many years ago, many, 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 many years ago. And um, I uh, specialised in property work, frankly, as a lot of people do, because that's what you end up doing when you're training. You just tend, you end up doing the job that, you know, is available for you. But I think the key point about solicitors, that a solicitor is um, a professional qualification, but it does mean that I could work in other areas of the law apart from conveyancing uh, without having to get an additional qualification now clearly it's up to me to make sure I'm competent to do whatever area of practice I, I chose to be in but if I got fed up of conveyancing and hey why would I um, I could for example um, do wills and probate work which in practice I have done or if I wanted to go into you know family crime personal injury whatever I could do that subject to you know um, uh, making sure I've got the right experience behind me. But the, the key point is, for anybody out there, I wouldn't need an additional qualification. Uh, you, on the other hand, um, Stu, are a lovely licensed conveyancer. So uh, tell everybody what that means. Yeah, so basically I'm a qualified licensed conveyancer, which simply means I specialise in property law. So within my qualification, anything to do with uh, the moving process, land law, my qualification's restricted to, to, to that arena. So I think the way I always um, think about the qualification is that, you know, years and years and years ago, the stereotypical solicitor might do, uh, you know, might act for a handful of clients and they would sort out their divorce, sort out buying their property. You know, if they'd just got arrested, they'd, they'd sort out the criminal matter, whatever the case may be. But I think over the years, law in general has become so complex that to be multidisciplinary across different um, you know, different types of law is very, very difficult. And for example, with conveyancing, it's, it's very reactive. And trying to, um, you know, carry out different areas of law at the same time is very difficult. So I also have a um, wills and probate license. So um, at Pieces Legal, we do do probate work as well. But there is no way in general that I could run a big probate caseload and conveyancing because the probate requires hours and hours of, of sitting down, not taking calls, meetings, et cetera, um, talking to executives and beneficiaries. 
whereby the conveyancing, it, you know, if you're running a, a, a medium to large caseload, is very, very reactive. You're always needing to talk to clients, talk to banks, yeah. talking to other lawyers, talking to agents, talking to brokers. So, you know, you, you, you wouldn't be able to, in my opinion anyway, combine the two. I mean, don't get me wrong, there are people out there that do do it, um, but not on a volume kind of basis. So I always think the law's just become so complex that it needs that segregation. Um, and uh, yeah, for me personally, um, when I was looking at the law and when I made the decision to become a licensed conveyancer, it was mainly on the basis that, you know, when people are buying a house, they're looking forward. Whereas with matrimonial litigation, you know, there's always a grievance and you're looking behind and, and, and you're already paid off kind of thing. Whereas, you know, with the house buying, for example, you're looking forward to something happening. Yeah, that's a really, really good, uh, it's a really good analogy. It's a really good way of describing it, Stu. So yeah, so a conveyancer is just an umbrella term for a qualified um, lawyer who does property work, whether that's a solicitor or licensed conveyancer. Um, and then under that, there are, you know, lots of people that support Stu and I in our jobs, whether they are, you know, paralegals, secretaries, support staff, case handlers, uh, legal executives, of course, really, really crucial part of the um uh, of the sort of pantheon of qualified people now so um that you know conveyancer is really the umbrella term and i think it's quite important that people understand the difference so um maybe one for you then Stu, because a question that i have seen sort of swilling about then and we've perhaps answered it to some extent it's a bit of a myth are conveyancers cheaper than solicitors so what's your view on that uh, not in my opinion. Um, I, I think that it's it's much of a muchness. I think potentially um, many moon ago, the answer would have been yes. But I think um, perhaps um, where com uh, firms with licensed conveyances were more specialised, shall I say, in property law, maybe they stole a march early doors. But I think firms of solicitors now have big conveyancing departments that run in a similar way that a firm of licensed conveyances would. So in, in my opinion, I, I don't think there's any difference on quality. I don't think there's any much difference on price. I, I think it's on a firm by firm basis. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, um, you know, because I do training around the country and I have to say sometimes I'm shocked at, uh, at how much firms are, you know, are charging or how little firms are charging for conveyancing and what is essentially a technical job. But of course, what um, is probably also worth pointing out for um, people who don't know is that um, the likes of Stu and I, solicitors and licensed conveyances, we have to be regulated uh, to provide um, legal services to the public because, you know, we, we are gathering confidential information about uh, people and their affairs. So I, as a solicitor and regulated by an organisation called the Solicitors Regulation Authority, Stu, as a licensed conveyancer, is regulated by the Council for Licensed Conveyancers. The thing that the thread that binds the two of us really is that we both have to comply with professional codes of conduct. Crucially, and Stu and I mentioned this a lot, of course, don't we? Uh, we are properly insured. So the idea is that, you know, if we ever do a job... Um, and the, the client suffers losses at our hands, you know, then that loss will be recompensed by the indemnity insurers 
And I think that's a really, really big thing for members of the public to check out, that they are actually being uh, um, represented by a regulated entity that has appropriate indemnity insurance in place. We kind of all assume from the inside looking out that that's what people will do. But of course, on the old costs and fees front, what, um, what a lot of firms still aren't complying with, Stu, which is quite interesting, is that both the Solicitors Regulation Authority and the Licensed Conveyancers subscribe to these things called the Transparency Rules, 12 18 months ago or whatever um and essentially they require us to put details of our conveyancing fees and indeed other other um, work uh, specified work on our websites um and there are lots and lots of firms that still aren't doing that Stu, which i find really um really really interesting there's a really high degree of non-compliance so how as a matter of interest did you um sort of face up to dealing with the transparency rules did you kind of embrace it as a good way of getting your fees out there and getting working or a bit of a well, we, were, we were already doing it um we have um a, a click button on our website that you can go on and, and, and self-generate your own estimate of costs uh, we just thought from a um you know a marketing um point um we were better off putting our costs out there we wouldn't be the cheapest we wouldn't be the most expensive either but um you know we have no particular reason to, to hide what costs we will, we, you know, we will give to our client. Um, so you can go on our website. There's a list in our fees section of, of the fees that we charge per matter type. And you can even go in there um, and actually self create your own estimate of cost mm. spoke on the property you're buying. And, and you can instruct us via that, that medium as well. So we were already doing that before the fee transparency rules were, were uh, implemented. But like you say, there's a lot of firms that don't. Um, why? I, I don't know. Um, I think some people are still fearful of, you know, competitors being able to see what you charge, that kind yeah. of thing, perhaps. But then I see that no different as being able to, to, to ring somebody up and ask them for a quote over the phone anyway. So, yeah, I mean, to be honest, we've done the mystery shopper thing perhaps nearly years. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I suppose I'm sort of, you know, a bit sort of distinctive, I suppose. So I, it was never me. But I always got one of my quite sort of ballsy, lovely members of support staff that, you know, could pretend they were sort of, you know, Sheila from Southampton to, to, to ring round. And, and I'd listen, listen to them coming up with all sorts of old cobblers, um, you know, about what they were buying and where they were buying and all the rest of it. I and, mean, you yeah. know, we've done that for years. So, yeah. you know, I have to say that when you've been doing this job as long as I have to do, nothing's new. But, um, but yeah, as I say, there's apparently, according to the SRA at least, quite a high degree of um, non-compliance. Um, whether or not there's just a sort of technology challenge for some firms, I entirely think you're right about firms not wanting to know what, you know, their competitors see, you know, seeing them charging. But also I think to be fair, what a lot of firms feel um, is, is a difficulty um, is the issue of, um, uh, you know, a convincing matter is quite often not completely straightforward and the, need to be able to revise your fees upwards if you anticipate that the matter is going to become more complicated perhaps because of a deed of easement is needed or something uh, of that nature and the fact that if you are seen to put a, a you know a quote on yeah. your site it can then be difficult to um to you know to capture those increased fees should it become necessary i suspect that part of that was. To it's do funny that. it's funny you should mention that we um we have an additional fees sheet that we send out to our clients as well yeah. and, and you know, I'll, I'll be completely honest we actually get a bit of kickback from that um and it would be easier not to send it certainly uh, and the reason we get a bit of kickback from it is a lot of clients will come back to us and say well i wasn't aware of these additional fees yeah uh, and i say well 
they're not additional fees as such. We're making it clear that these are the additional costs we would charge should this um, scenario arise, which, you know, which, which hopefully it won't. We've given you an estimate of cost based on the circumstances you've given to me. Yeah. Uh, for example, once you've completed your purchase, if you want me to carry out a will, there is an additional cost. If you want me to uh, you know, draft a declaration of trust um, to protect monies that might be being put in, in, in different chairs, for example, then there is an additional cost. You know, if you ask that question up front, we will tell you what the cost is. Um, but we put that in there so that everybody's aware right from the start. You know, if, if you're selling a property, you've, you've put up an extension, it needed planning, you haven't got planning, and we maybe need to indemnify or something like that, then, you know, we do make a charge for that. But we're quite clear on, on the charges that we make um, and for what. Um, and, and most of the time, most of the time, they don't apply, you know, a massively high percentage, probably 95% plus. Um, certainly, there are no additional costs whatsoever. But I do think it's important that you tell somebody up front because, you know, there's nothing worse when you take your car to the garage um, and you say, oh, you know, I want, um, you know, this looked at, and, and all of a sudden they come back to you and they've looked at that, but they've changed it all, put four new tyres on, and said, oh, the bill's double what I said it would be. Think, oh, Christ. Yeah, you've got no because you've got no choice to but to pay to get your car off the forecourt, and that's the difference between you and, and that's the difference between what everybody else does and what we do. Um, you know, because if somebody made a complaint about me, um, you know, I am sitting on the high street, I am the target, I will try and put things right, but um, uh, you know, uh, but but uh, and we are very heavily regulated. So, but so to perhaps conclude this conveyancing matter, Stu, you've already hit on then because one of the questions that um, is often posed then is what makes a good conveyancer? And I, again, say that's whether solicitor or licensed conveyancer. So I would say, obviously, um, upfront communication, willingness to communicate uh, and clarity on costs. So maybe just um, maybe one or two things. What, what do you think makes a good conveyancer then, Stu? Uh, I might be a bit controversial on this one, and, but, you know... Oh, really? In, term, in terms of a good conveyancer, um, it, it is about communication, and it is about experience in dealing with property and property type. So property type's really, really important because there's a, it's you know, massively different buying a property at auction than it is buying um, under the normal process. It's massively different if you're buying a new build shared equity property than something that's been existing for 50 years. So I think the, one of the really important points is to communicate to the lawyer what property, for example, you're buying or selling and, and to check that they've got experience in that arena. Um, because if you're buying a new property or a property auction, there are certain timeframes that you're expected to conclude things within, um, which might be completely different to, uh, to existing stuff, you know. Um, there will be properties that you could be buying that could be listed, that could have septic tanks. There's all sorts of different things that come up. So I think having a conveyancer that's experienced in all different types of, of property law, whether it be a solicitor, licensed conveyancer, whatever, um, I think is really, really important. Yeah, I suppose one of the things that I, um, I think makes a good conveyancer, I, I think that on the one hand, in an ideal world, an ability to respond promptly is a really good thing. But actually, we don't live in an ideal world. We live in the world that we live in. 
So I would say an ability to communicate effectively to your client is probably a, a more important quality because there will be times when we do, uh, you know, uh, taking the conveyance to stand here, Stu, there will be times I think when we have to say to our client, look, I'm sorry, I can't get, I couldn't get back to you as quickly as I wanted to. So we're not always, it's la la land to think we're always going to be able to communicate promptly. So I actually think one of the most important qualities for a conveyancer, be it solicitor, licensed conveyancer, member of support staff, is actually an ability and a willingness to communicate effectively with your clients. Because sometimes we are just going to have to say, do you know what? I should have done that and I didn't. Yeah, and, you communication, know, yeah communication is the biggest buzzword probably, you know, in conveyancing at the moment. Um, and I think it always has to be honest probably, probably, it probably has been you're probably right and, and if you look at service levels it's really important that you know we try to adhere to those but i think you know if i tie in the, the communication and when you're looking for a lawyer i think there's an element of being realistic as well yeah you know if, if, if you um you know ask a question and, and and you find there's a lawyer that can get back to you in 20 minutes every time you call them and or you email them realistically that's not going to happen um, you know, we, we try and get back to people within 24 hours. We say we will definitely do within 48. Um, and in, in my mind, that, that's a realistic figure. Okay. It's so dependent on, on, on what stage at the, the transaction you're at. For example, you know, a client will need, you know, virtually an immediate um, call email if they're in a position of exchanging contracts and completing um, because that is a, a live situation whereby they're in the process of moving. Um, but there are times when you need to look through important documents and you might need a, a, a day to do that. So it's been realistic when you're looking at a lawyer in terms of what they are promising, because it is easy to promise the world. Um, it is easy to quote really, really, really low. Um, and it's easy to tell everybody that you can get back to them that morning within the hour, whatever the case may be. But realistically, you know, that that's not going to happen. That there, there has to be some kind of boundary. So I think when you're looking to instruct a lawyer of, of whatever ilk, it's really important that you're realistic with, you know, and look at the promises they make uh, and be realistic in terms of what they can achieve. Because as I said, there are firms out there that quote extremely low prices. Um, but, you know, we've already touched upon, you know, one of the reasons to instruct a, a lawyer, for example, indemnity insurance, there are other reasons as well. You know, we have to pay into something called the compensation fund. So if as a law firm we were to go bust, belly up, okay, um, we've paid into a compensation fund for many, many years of our governing body, which means clients do not lose out if they've lodged a deposit with us. And I decide that, you know, I've had enough of conveyancing, I've had enough of speaking to Elaine, I fancy a nice long holiday never to return again, okay? <laughs> Which is that. very possible, okay, but if, uh, but if that scenario was to ever happen, the client will never, ever be at a loss. You know, when they instruct a law firm, they'll never be at a loss. Um, and, and also undertakings, you know, as a law firm, we can give qualified undertakings, which are legally binding promises. Whereas if you were to do it yourself, for example, which is possible, if you were to do it yourself, you can't give those undertakings. So I think when you're looking at law firms, it's important to get somebody that's got the experience in the field that you're looking at. And it's, it's very important also to be realistic, realistic on price. You know, if you pay the cheapest possible price, you know, it's, it's a possibly a dangerous scenario. And also, well, people promise you, yeah. There is the sort of peanut scenario there, Stu, isn't there, really? Um, so really, maybe what we're suggesting to people when they are looking for, um, uh, you know, a property lawyer is um, try and ring up and speak to the person you're going to be dealing with 
get a realistic estimate from them um, and ask them, you know, well, you know, when do you expect to be able to get back to me? How often do you think I'll hear from you? You know, um, and if you're a, and frankly, if you're a client who, you know, has got very um, high demands in that regard, um, then, um, you know, either introduce a little bit of realism into your own expectations or, um, or maybe speak to a lawyer who's um, uh, maybe going to charge you more for that, uh, for, for that Definitely. time. Yeah, yeah. that level of service well thanks for that Stu I think they were um, uh, you know really interesting set of questions I think we'll do more conveyancing Q&A's on uh, conveyancing yeah. matters but for the time being I'll say bye-bye and wish you an exciting day take care Stu all right have a good day take care bye